0: Good morning. Who knows what this is? This is a map made out of paper, (laughs) folded time and time and time again. And so let me just talk to the younger crowd in the audience for a minute. Those that are maybe, what, 35 and under? You've probably never seen one. Maybe you've heard of them. But for generations, this was what people used to get from one place to another. They usually hung out in our, in our glove compartments, and if you were going on a trip, you would take out your glove compartment map and begin to unfold it. Like that. Oh, uh, it's upside down. It happens to be a Pennsylvania map. And then what you'd have to do is you'd have to take a pen or a pencil and a highlighter and figure out where you were at and determine where you wanted to go. And then you'd have to get out maybe the, you know, the magnifying glass or, or you know, hold it up real close to your eyes and begin to trace out a journey for you to get to said destination you had to chart the course actually from start to finish on your own which highways which roads which towns you want to get to go through to get to where you wanted to go and for those who you know didn't use these i will never fold this back up again so i'm just going to lay this here for those who you know were a little fancier you would get an atlas They didn't just have like one state, but it had the entire nation. And you could go anywhere you wanted as long as you took the time to open this up, pull out your pen, pull out your highlighter, and and track where you wanted to go. And then if you had a little bit of money and you belonged to AAA, and I couldn't find one, but you know what I'm about to say, you could order a what? A triptych, yeah. Again, for the younger generation, those of you who, you know, you're like, what is this that he speaks of? I know not not that which he speaks about today. For for those who were part of AAA, you could order a trip ticket. It was just like this little flip book that was a little bit more consolidated, a little bit neater, a little bit cleaner. And it would just kind of take you from one town to the next by just flipping a page. Now, again, somebody at AAA, they would take the highlighter and they would map out the course for you. right? And we did that for years and thought that was perfectly normal. And then Google came along. And and with Google came Google Maps. And remember this season of time where if you wanted to go to some place, we thought we were really cool and high tech because we could go on the internet, type in our destination, and 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 hit you know search, and up would come the destination. It'd be like, you know, turn by turn, road by road, you know. But it would be in kind of you know written form, and we'd print that off, and we thought, man, that's awesome. And we'd have that piece of paper next to us, and so as you're driving, you're constantly looking down, and you hope it doesn't fall on the you know, passenger side, and you have to reach down for it. And then, everything changed, right? When Tom Toms and Garmins became available, we had the same technology at our fingertips as like NASA. Satellite, we had access to satellites and we rushed to the store to get them. And we used to pay like 250 bucks for them. Anybody pay that much for your first TomTom, Tom, Garmin, whatever? But it was worth it. Because now you could just put that, that device, this super high-tech, you know, super sophisticated device on your dash and punch in the numbers and, or punch in the, uh, the location. And then you could just follow, you know, follow along, right? And then... And now today, right, we don't need Tom Toms or garments. I, I couldn't find one because most people have gotten rid of them because now you just have your phone, right? How many of you use Google Maps? How many of you use Apple Maps? Right? How many of you use something else to get to where you want to go, but you use your phone? You got Waze or whatever. But now, now what we do is we just take our phone and we might you know, put it in a stand or what have you, but, but now we have a phone to get us to where we go. But there's something we need to talk about when it comes to our phones. See, at any given moment in time, once you punch in your destination and you look at your phone, or if you're still going old school Tom Tom, old school old school, you know, Garmin or whatnot, you can still only see a limited amount of space in front of you. The screen at any given moment only gives you limited information. And so what's happened over time, and you didn't realize it was happening, but over time we have all formed this habit, right? This habit that as we drive, as we're going down the road, we're going to someplace new, going on vacation or someplace we've never been, we drive and we glance. We drive and we glance. We look at our phone. We, we, we make sure we're on the road, and then we drive some more, and then we look down at the phone, and we, we drive a little bit more, right? But we're constantly glancing. We're constantly looking at our phone or our GPS to make sure that we are on the right path, that we're traveling the right way. Now, again, if you've ever had this happen Maybe you get caught up in a conversation or caught up, you know, with some music or listening to something on radio and you have, you know, that GPS mute or m- muted so it doesn't talk back to you. Y- you can forget to look at the screen. And when you do that, it's, it's easy, right? It's easy to miss a turn. It's easy to get off course. Anybody ever do that? Oh no! I should have turned there. I I should have I should have uh, you know turned left instead of going straight there. And we got to double back, or your 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 map will do what? It will recalculate to get you back on path, right? This simple habit that we've all developed, right, is to me a picture of what it takes to experience God in our lives. See, in the same way that we had to develop the habit of constantly glancing, constantly looking at the map in front of us that gave us a limited amount of information but it kept us on the right path, in the same way, if we're going to experience God in our lives, we must form new habits where we're constantly setting our eyes on God. We're constantly looking to Him, leaning on Him for direction in our life. Why is it? Well, simple life truth, it's up on the screen. Where we focus will eventually become the driving force of our life. Where we focus will become the driving force in our lives. So let me just start with a question. Where is your focus today? Where does your gaze go during your week? During the moments inside of your week where you ought to be gazing somewhere for direction. But if you're being honest, your gaze is often not this way. It's someplace else. Last week, we talked about a hula hoop as it relates to, to God's will. And the reality is that the first step for us to experience God is we've got to, decide, we've got to desire the hula hoop. That, that God has a will and he invites us on this journey to do his will. And the first step that we have to take is we must will his will in our lives. We encourage you to pray a prayer from Colossians chapter 1 this week to kind of set our minds, set our hearts towards saying, God, I want to do your will. I want to will your will in my life. And and hopefully this past week you've made some progress. You have started gazing, looking to God for direction, looking to God for answers about what you should do, where you should go, how you should respond, where you should set your priorities in time. But here's the, the reality. In my experience, because right, I am 53 now, in my experience, even if we have the very best of intentions, Even if we have said to ourselves and said to God, God, I'm going to look to you and I'm going to trust you for direction in my life. In my experience, maybe it's not yours. It's still easy to get confused. We we, we miss a turn, right? We, we, We don't look at the map the way we should. We're still tempted at times, right? To Instead of keeping our eyes fixed on him, we lean on our own understanding. There are times when we simply think that, you know what I need to do? I need to make a hard right turn right now. When in reality, God's just saying, take the bend in the road up ahead. And here's the reality when we choose to do that, things never go well. Take a look. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die, and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make. make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear Right. No, up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 no. Look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right over the bridge, and hook up with three o seven. Make a right. Maybe turn. it's a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's well, a lake I think there. I think it knows it's where straight. it is going. This is the the lake. machine. Knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No. It's Stop up here. There's no room here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for leeches! Michael! Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Michael! Michael! Let go of! Ah! Let go of Michael! Come on! I got you! I got you! Been a while since we've uh, dropped. A, I don't know that I've ever dropped an office clip on you on Sunday morning. On a Sunday morning, some of you, you will say, "We want more of that, right?" And anyway, we're in week two of our fall series, experiencing God. And this morning, again, we said that I'm going to on Sundays in kind of our corporate time together. I'm going to stick with the workbook. And so, in your workbook, uh, this week is titled "Looking to God." And so today, that's what we want to unpack. I, specifically today, I want us to, to think about looking to God for direction in our daily life with God. That's what we want to spend our time unpacking. Because, you know, in the same way as we navigate the highways and byways of our beautiful country, um, all of us have our own means of getting direction. We, we, so, some, some of us might say, well, I, I know where I'm going. I don't need no stinking directions. Well, that probably tells me that you never go anywhere new, right? You just go in the same place day in and day out. I don't need no directions. Well, try, try adventuring out of Clarion County, and, and maybe then you might need some directions. Others, you just say, you know, I'm going to trust my gut. I was there once. I remember. And that works until you hit about 50, and then you need all the help that you can get, right? Others, they trust their, their passengers. Well, I, I, thought, I thought you knew where we were going. You're the navigator. I thought you could get us there, right? Very, very few of us and none of the, the, the male persuasion is going to pull off on the side of the road and pull into a gas station. Remember those days? And a- actually ask for directions. That's just not something that some of us are ever, ever going to do. And all the while, you know, again, most of us continue to carry the technology in our hands to get us where we want. In the same way, when it comes to navigating the highways of life, right, we all have our way of getting to where we want to go, of getting to our destination, unless some of us really don't have a destination, right? Right? If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. I think we heard that in Alice in Wonderland. Is that right, is that an Alice in Wonderland quote? I think it is, right? If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. So some of us, the way you go about living your life, you have no direction, you have no purpose, you have no plan, so you don't need to seek direction because you have no direction. You're just doing the same thing day after day after day after day. Some, you're trusting your gut. I know where I want to go, and it's up to me to get there. Others, your route is being determined by the other people in your life. the, The passengers in your life, maybe it's your spouse, your job, your kids, they're the ones who are saying, go left, go straight, turn here, go there. And you're just driving around in life like a crazy person because all you're doing is taking directions from everybody else. But how many of us a day-in, day-out basis, regularly set our eyes toward God and say, God, give me direction. God, I want you to navigate my life for me. See, it really comes down to the fact that somebody is going to navigate our life. Why not let God? Why not allow God, who promises to be with us on our journey, why not allow him to lead us? to experience him in ways that we perhaps have never imagined. So I want to unroot or, or, or dig, dig into this question for a couple of minutes this morning. Why don't we look to God? Like, what's the reason? There's got to be a reason why many of us choose other navigation systems for our life other than the God of the universe, and I've got, a, I've got a few here that we'll put up on the screen. You can write them down. And, and, and more than writing them down, I hope that you wrestle with them and say, you know what, is this me? Do, 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 am I guilty of not looking to God because of this reason or that reason? Or perhaps you'll add one of your own. But the first one, let's get this one on the table and out of the way at first. The first one really is about pride. That's the obvious one, so let's expose it. We want to be in charge. We like the steering wheel in our hands. We want to navigate our own journey. We want to take out the map of our own life, chart our own course, figure out where we want to go, and then just follow that course that we've mapped out for ourselves. And, and what that really comes down to, that comes back down to an issue of pride. The writer of Proverbs said this. He said in Proverbs 14, 12, he says, There is a way or in our language today, there is a path, there is a road that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And so some of us may not be looking to God on a daily basis because of pride. Others, it may be because of fear. It's fear. What do I mean by that? When I say some of us don't look to God because of fear, well, we fear, I think, what God's plans for us might be. See, the truth is, the only thing scarier than not knowing what God is doing in your life is often knowing what God is doing in your life. And for some of us, that just scares us. And so for fear of what God may actually want to do in and through our lives, we stop looking to Him. Or... Maybe we try to bargain with God. And we say, God, if you'll just show me the whole map, if you'll show me the course, if you'll show me the path, if you'll show me the the twists and turns that you're planning to take me on, that will help me. And God says, no, that's not how this works. This journey that you're on with me is a journey of faith where I just want you to trust me a little at a time, a step at a time, one road at a time and for fear of where he may be taking us, we say, no, God, I'm going to stop looking to you. Uh, another reason, and this is just me thinking about life, thinking about experiences, thinking about myself even, but another reason why maybe we're tempted to not look to God is, is, is selfishness. Selfishness. We've seen, here's what I mean by that, we've seen Others who've chosen to look to God in their daily lives. And you've personally observed that God has asked something of them that cost them something. Some of their time, some of their resources, some of their plans for their life. You may know a missionary who gave up being close to family to go overseas you may know somebody who has sacrificed the comfort of, of their, uh, their way of living. And God has tapped on, that tapped on, on the shoulder and said, I want you to invite children that aren't yours into your home. And, and you've watched and observed how God has led others, and you've said, hmm, that ain't for me. I, I don't want any of that plan. I, I don't want to have to adjust my life to the extent that they had to adjust their life. So God, I'm just not going to look to you. And that really at times in some of our lives just reveals some selfishness. And there's another one. And I think this one is harder to identify, but it's, it's a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust. And, and here's what I mean by that. I think for some of us, the reason why we don't look to God daily for direction, for guidance, that we're unwilling to take our hands off of the steering wheel of our own lives, it's because somewhere at the depths of our soul, we question God's goodness. We're just not convinced that he is a good God and that his plans, though we may not understand them, and though those plans might include ups and downs and twists and turns and journeys in life that we would never choose for ourselves. we're not convinced that even if God takes us that path, that he is good. That he's a good God, no matter what he does in our lives. Some of us, we just want veto power. We want veto power with his plans. We want to reserve the right to decide once we know all the details, right? It's the map with the highlighter that shows me the route, and we're like, "Okay, I can do that one. I, I can do that route. That's that seems to be one that I can handle." But again, that's not how experiencing God. That's not how the faith journey is intended to work. Our memory verse for week two is Psalm 20, verse seven. The psalmist writes, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Again, the filter, some, some trust in their own guidance system, some trust in their own wisdom, their own power, some trust in their own ability to plan things out just right. But For those of us who have stepped into the will of God, those of us who have said, you know what, I will God's will for my life, we have to begin to get to the place where we trust God, that he is good, that no matter the direction that he takes us in our life, that it's for our good and ultimately for his glory. I can't talk in these terms without referencing, once again, Psalm 119, verse 105, that reminds us that that God gives us light for our path. He doesn't promise to show us the whole journey. When it comes right down to it, some of us struggle with that idea a true journey of faith. But there's one more that I I think is, again, even more subtle, even more devious, but if we're being authentic this morning as brothers and sisters, as a spiritual family, if you're being honest with yourself and maybe if you're willing to be honest with somebody else, it comes down to this. We are practical deists. We are practical deists. Now, what do I mean by... By uh, by that. Well, we need to define deism first. For those of you who may not be familiar with that term, a deist is someone who has an abstract concept, an abstract concept of a creator. Deists believe that there is a God who ordered the cosmos, created the world, and then removed Himself. Deists believe that that God, the creator of the of the universe, is not personally interested or personally invested in his creation. And that would include you and me. They believe that God does not love, that God does not judge, that God does not provide, but that he simply is. He just exists. He's not personal. And he's not providential. God was the architect of the universe, but is now an inactive spectator. That's a deist. And so when I say that, the easy knee-jerk is to, to say this in your mind. Maybe you've already thought this. I don't believe that. I'm, I'm not a deist. I, I, don't, I don't believe that at all. But let me encourage us all to slow down and be authentic and be real with ourselves and real with God. And let me ask you three questions. First question, do you live in a way that demonstrates that you believe that God is directly involved in your life? Not what you just believe or say you believe, but do you live that way? Do you, do you live and believe that God holds us accountable for how, do we, how we choose to live our life. Do, do you live as though God will hold you accountable for how you live? And do you truly live and believe that God speaks and that he does want to direct your steps? I mean, again, if we followed you around with a camera for a week, would we conclude that that? What you say and what you actually live are two different things. That you may say that you believe that God is personal and providential, that God loves and cares and God wants to speak and that God wants to direct our paths but the way you live, you actually live like there is no map. No map. You just gotta figure it out. You just do what you want. Live however you want. I mean, does that truly how we live. And we say in essence that God's not interested in my life. He really doesn't care about who I'm becoming or where I'm going or what I'm doing. Again, I know you. I know most of you, right? You'd never say that. You'd never verbalize that, but practically speaking, do you live that way? And that gets us now to the saddest part of this message the saddest part to me of choosing to live that way as a practical deist choosing not to look to God in our life and instead looking to self for direction for navigation is, is this God lets us God lets us He allows us to choose that for ourselves in the workbook this week you if you've already read for week two um, you were in psalm 81 and so what i want us to do is if you have a bible i want you to open your bible and we're going to go through psalm 81 together if you don't have a bible it'll be up on the screen if you need a bible please stop at the welcome center and get a copy of the scriptures because we want you to to have your own copy So this psalm, Psalm 81, was a psalm that was to be sung during one of uh, the children of Israel's many feasts, during a time when when the nation would gather together in in joyous celebration. And so as we read this psalm together, there's a part of it that might seem a little odd, like the, the psalmist is trying to be you know, a a spoil sport or some kind of a killjoy. I mean, we're supposed to be singing about the great things that God has done for us as a nation. And then he drops something right in the middle of it that we need to, to land on. He reminds them about wasted opportunities to experience God as a nation. Psalm 81, let's read it. The psalmist writes this, Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. Now the psalmist turns, and he's now speaking the rest of the psalm from the voice of God to Israel. God, in response, says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. Again, talking about the slavery in Egypt. In distress, you called out, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And then listen to what he begins to say. He says, hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide. Look to me. Choose me for the source of everything that you need, and I will give it to you. And then verse 11, super sad statement. But my people did not listen to my voice. They did not look to me. They did not give me control of their life. They didn't allow me to be the navigator. So, verse 12, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Again, he gave them what they wanted. God, we don't want to look to you. We want to look to ourselves. In spite of all that you've done for us, we still want to do what we want, when we want, how we want it. And God said, okay, there you go. And then verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways, that they would live inside of my hoop, that they would live inside of my will, that they would wake up as a nation every day saying, God, we don't know what you have for us today, but today, individually and collectively, we want to do your will. And then the next day, they wake up, and individually and collectively, they say, God, we don't know what you have for us today, but today, we want to do your will. The psalmist says, from God's perspective, they would not do that. Verse 14, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. You just hear the passion, the pleading, and the, the sadness of a father, saying, if you would just listen, you chose differently. I would have done so much for you, even more than what I've already done. Now again, we need to be careful as we read Psalms like this. Remember that the Bible is not a manual. We don't read a verse like this and say, so what you're saying is that if I follow God's ways, I'll never have any problems, that he'll tear down all my enemies, that, that I'll get everything that I want in life. No, 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 no. Now, don't read the Bible like a manual. The Bible is much more a window. It helps us to see who God is. And so when you read this psalm, see it through this window where it gives us a glimpse into God's character. Don't claim it as some kind of promise. If I do this, then this. But again, the psalmist is communicating that God's heart is for his people to look to him. And when they do, God will show up in ways unimaginable. And again, today, I wonder if, if there was a psalm written about us, if the psalm would include God echoing these same thoughts. They won't look to me. They, they refuse to step into the hula hoop. They can't imagine what I would do if they would learn to give me control, to let me direct their lives. See, what would need to change in your life? What would need to change in my life in order to look to God daily? Because the truth is, to experience God, we must look to God. If we're going to experience Him, we have to look to Him. What would happen if you began, again, in in that same way that we developed a habit when we first started putting a GPS or putting our phone on that dash in front of us, in the same way that we developed this habit of just glancing and looking and looking and glancing and driving and looking and driving and then glancing and then driving some more and then looking and making sure we're on the path, what if that habit, that rhythm, moved from our car, from our vehicles, to our walk with God? To how we try to relate to God day in and day out. And we start constantly and consistently looking to Him. What would we find? We find a lot of things, but the first thing that we would find is we would find God Himself. Proverbs 8, verse 17, it's up on the screen. Look what it says. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. They find me. So if we begin to set our hearts toward God, the first thing that we will find is we will find God himself. You will find a God who is loving toward you. you. You will find a God who is patient with you. You will find a God who forgives your sins more than once, more than twice, more than three times, more than a thousand times. You will find a God who wants us to recognize his witness in us and the fact that he is for us. When we set our hearts toward seeking, toward looking to him, he becomes what we're looking for. He becomes the treasure that we long for. That's enough in and of itself. But wait, there's more. If we begin to set our hearts toward looking to God in our daily life, not only will we find God himself which, in it, which alone is treasure enough and reason enough to look. But beyond that, what we will find is we'll find that that God who is personal is providential. And the way that experiencing God explains it is the first reality of experiencing God, which simply says, God is always at work. God is always at work. And so if we set our hearts toward looking to God, what will we find God doing? We will find God working. And he's working all over the place. I mean, what you'll find is, first and foremost, he's working in your life. When we set out on this experiencing God journey, one of the first things that I said was, this is a journey inward That if if we want to make the most of this season, we have to be willing to take a journey inward. And if you started taking that journey inward into your own heart, into your own walk with him, I believe that you've already discovered, and if you haven't already discovered it, you're gonna discover it, God is working. God wants to do a work in you. That's a starting point. Be, Be thankful for that that when we talk about the providential work of God, that it's also a very personal work, that He's at work in you when you look to Him, as you look to Him. But He's also at work in other places. He's at work in your family. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't notice it, those of you that are in the middle of parenting, those of you that are raising your kids, especially if they're kind of in that you know, older preschool, elementary, into the teen years, one of the hardest things for for discipling your kids is that you don't see growth. You just don't see it because growth is slow. Growth happens over a long period of time. So sometimes we can get discouraged and think, will this kid ever get it? Will they ever grow up? Will they ever understand? Will they ever mature? Well, listen, go back six months, go back a year, go back two years, and think about where they were at then. And say, well, look, they are growing. It just takes a long time, longer than we want to often admit. God, is is he working in my spouse? Is he working in my parents? Listen, God is always at work, and sometimes those who are closest to us are often, it's, it's often the hardest to see what God's doing in them, partly because we just want him to do so much more than we see or perceive him doing at any given moment, any given week, any given month, any given year. But God is working in your family. He's working in where you work. Most of us spend a majority of time in our workplace. Listen, I'm telling you, he's working there. But, but we're not always dialed in. We're dialed into the work, which is, amen, you should be dialed into the work. You should go to work, do your job, do it well, do it better than anybody else. But also, if we can somehow train our brains, train our hearts, train our souls to go to work while we continue looking to God, we'll begin to see that he's working in other places. He's working in your coworkers. He's working in that difficult, that difficult uh, cubicle mate. He's working in that, that difficult boss. He's doing things if we could somehow learn to live and go to work as missionaries. He's working here. He's working here. He's working in and through us. With others like you who are looking to God. They, they say there's safety in numbers, right? So I, I would like to think that it's safer when we together begin looking to God for direction. When we collectively as a body of believers, we begin to, to look to God and we see him working. And, and how is he working at Zion? He's working in a lot of ways. Again, we have... We have been tracking with how he is leaning, he's he's causing us to lean in toward uh, foster and adoptive care. He's causing us and leading us, he's working in us to see that he wants us to move more intentionally at Clarion University. He, He wants us to care about and be concerned about those in our community who are dealing with mental health issues so that we can come alongside them and support and love and serve them. He's working in all of us to lean into those areas. And what are some other areas that he might be leaning into? I don't know. We dreamt about some of those things a few weeks ago. But if we together, collectively, continue to look to God, I'm gonna just trust that God will map the course for us. He'll use different circumstances and situations and different burdens that he places on each of you to help all of us see what he wants to do here at Zion. I believe that with all my heart. I really do. But God is always at work. And if that's true, and it is, I want to answer one more question. What is that work? If we look to God daily, if we begin to to just keep our eyes on Him as we go through our days and weeks and moments, and as we do that, we see God working, what ultimately is His work? Well, we can... Say it a whole bunch of different ways, but ultimately God's work is to form a family. God's work is to build a kingdom. God's work is to reconcile the world to Himself. That's God's work. And so, any time that you see that happening, you can say, "There's God. There's God. There's God." And any time that God invites you into something that is part of pointing people to himself, that's part of building his family, growing his kingdom, reconciling a world to himself, you can probably, not that I advocate betting, but you could probably bet the house that that's God speaking. Because that's what God is always doing. And his invitation to us is always going to be about his kingdom his family reconciling a world to himself i want us to end with reading a passage in second corinthians chapter 5 familiar we've read it we've taught through it before but i just want to see it one more time second corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 16 are reading through the end of the chapter. Paul in this letter, the second letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth. He says, look, from now on, from this day forward, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't see people just as humans. We don't just, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't operate on this surfacey, you know, level anymore. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now he's talking about salvation. Like if if we have embraced Jesus, if we have repented of our sins, we've placed our hope and faith in Christ alone for our salvation. We've we've said, Christ, I'm all in. I want to follow you. He reminds us all this is from God. God was the one who did this, right? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself, God worked through somebody else at some point in time in your life to help point you to Jesus so that you can be reconciled to him. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. How crazy is that? That when we talk about God being at work, he works through his people. So we implore you, I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, looking to God, his invitation to us will always revolve around us being involved in the work of reconciling people back to God. And if you sense God moving you toward people who aren't yet reconciled to God, if you sense him wanting you to build relationships with, serve gladly, uh, stretch yourself in ways that maybe you've never been stretched before to get into closer proximity to those who are not reconciled to God, if you begin to sense that and feel that and and, and wonder, is this God? It's God. Because that's his work. That's what he does he uses us imperfect as we are to be a part of his work of reconciling the world to himself so as the worship team comes imagine a church filled with people who developed the habit of okay god what are you doing now where are you leading me now should i have this conversation now where should I shop today, right? Who do I need to spend time with this week? What kind of conversations do I need to have this week? Where, am I, where, where do you want me to put my time and energy this week? God, I'm, I'm looking to you. I've, gotta, I've, got, I've got life to live. I've got to go to work. I've got to get the kids. But I'm going to continue to look. I'm going to continue to glance. I'm going to continue to seek direction from you. And if you need to interrupt my plans, I'm going to go with your plans. Because I'm looking to you in my life. Imagine a church filled with men and women who've determined to live that way. As we do that, we will find God. We will experience him, and he will be enough. He will be enough. But also, we will hear him leading us and guiding us and inviting us on a journey to connect with others so they could be reconciled back to him. Here's my challenge. We're going to take communion in just a moment. And if you're new or newish to Zion, we've we, we started doing communion more often, about twice a month, because we're invited to remember Christ's death as often as we can. And what it looked like in those early years of the church is different than it looks here 2,000 years later. But the bottom line is, Believers for 2,000 years have been pausing to reflect and remember what Christ did on the cross. And so here's what we have the chance to do. Instead of just glancing at Jesus as we go about our life today, we're gonna just park the car, pull off on the side of the road, and we're just gonna stare at Jesus for a minute. We're gonna remember, we're gonna think about, we're gonna let our hearts and our minds be, be captured once again with what it cost Jesus to reconcile us to the Father. It cost him his life. It cost him his blood. It cost him everything. And so if you, are, if you are a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to participate in communion. If not, then today maybe would be the day that you become a follower of Jesus and if that's true, today you're like, today's the day. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to be down here in the front uh, while we're singing and responding. Come and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, is the day that I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a Christian today. And I'll help you with that. We'll, we'll have somebody help with that. But my challenge to you before you come, because the scriptures talk about examining ourselves, so my challenge is this. <clears throat> Go back to the beginning of the message and ask yourself, What keeps me from looking to God daily? What are the things that that prevent me from looking to God for daily direction in my life? Is it pride? Is it selfishness? Is it a lack of trust? What is it? Do you you live as a practical deist? And, and, And if God points something different out to you, that's fine. But before you come as you examine yourself, repent, confess that, and ask God to forgive you. Repent of that sin and then come. And and we're going to just let you individually or if you want to do it with the family, take communion on your own. What you'll do is you'll open the the lid and when you're ready, you can just take the, the bread. It's not really bread, but it symbolizes Christ's body. Take a minute to just think about what his physical body went through and then say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for me and then take the bread. And then open the lid and think about his blood for a minute. Think about the fact that his blood was spilled for our sins. And then say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. And if you're here and you're, again, brought somebody or if you want to do it with a couple of people, you can do that. You can do that here, there, over there. You can go back to your seats. It doesn't matter. We're just going to sing and let God call us to a response. Uh, if you want to take communion just as a family. But you're on your own over these next few, uh, few moments. And again, if you're not a Christian, Let's talk, and we can, we can help you begin that journey of faith. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for calling us to yourself and for inviting us to be a part of reconciling the world back to you. And God, it all starts with us looking to you in our daily life. And so if that's the place where people just need to start, let it start today. Let it start this week move in our hearts, call us to a deep thoughts of remembering the cross in these next few moments. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.